is coming from Matthew chapter 17. Please turn in your Bibles there with me. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand. They'll bring a Bible to you that you can use. Let's stand together in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 17 connects with the previous chapter, so I'm going to read verse 28 of 16 and then through chapter 17. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two, two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, 
Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. May God bless his word, give us understanding of it, and challenge our hearts through the preaching of this text this morning. If you would remain standing with me, let's bow in a word of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with special music, and then the preaching of God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the testimony of baptism that was shared, Naomi, Rashanta, and Samuel. We thank you, Lord, for uh, those who came to hear and to see their testimony of baptism. We thank you for this time of worship and praise. Now we pray, Lord, as we gather here to hear your word, that you'd open our hearts, give us understanding in your word today, and challenge our hearts to obey and follow Christ, to give our attention to him today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. great to preach through a series as we are in Matthew today in Matthew chapter 17 so that we can see the connection, the, uh, the flow, the transition of God's word that it is a word from God or the word from God. It makes sense. He wants us to hear it. He wants us to understand it. In the last text we looked at, it started in chapter 16 um, saying uh, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I wonder how, how that is fulfilled, and you wonder a little bit, and then you look at the very next chapter, and you see there, it says in chapter 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brothers, and, lift, and led them to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. This word transfigured. He was changed. His, his very figure was transformed. And this is a glimpse of the kingdom. Jesus said they're going to, they're going to see uh, uh, the, the, coming, the, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. They're going to get a glimpse of what it's like in this kingdom, and here he is, he's showing it to them. This stands out in chapter 17 uh, for several reasons. One, it is an answer to, to, to the end of 16, and look at what happens. This is something that we have never seen, and the disciples obviously didn't know what was going on and what was happening. It says Jesus took just the three of them to this high mountain, so they were away from, from all of the crowd, and it says right before their very eyes, he was transformed. What did he look like? It says his face, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. 
This change in him was so dramatic that even the clothes that he had on couldn't hide the very nature of Jesus. So he was changed. It says his clothes became white as light. So Jesus himself is, is given a glimpse of what he is going to be like in his kingdom. In other words, there's a complete transformation. I know people ridicule today the resurrection from the dead, which the whole Christian faith is based on. Now, if they want to blow out Christianity, just disprove it. Archaeologists come up with the bones of Jesus. Or how about take the eyewitnesses who were there in that day, some of which hated Jesus and would love to have disproved this, could not. The Bible says there's over 500 witnesses, not just to the crucifixion, they're witnesses to Jesus after he rose from the dead. Many of them, because of what they witnessed, became believers, but not all of them. So Jesus gives us a glimpse of what he is in his kingdom. And not only him, but it says that there appeared with him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. I'm not sure how they recognize these two men as Moses and Elijah. Maybe that's some aspect of the kingdom is where, hey, there's just this instant recognition of, of one another. Maybe they talked and had conversation with them. We, we don't know. We're not given the detail. But the point is these two men, these great men of the Old Testament were there with Jesus, talking with Jesus. I can only imagine what they had the kind of conversation. I would imagine Moses would have been saying, Lord, man, I waited to see this day. <laughs> I look forward to it. But I think Elijah and Moses had something in common. It's something they, they have in common with, with any follower of Christ today is that Moses, remember Moses was rejected from seeing the promised land because of his sin. He, he couldn't. God says, okay, I'm not going to let you see it. I, 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 I'm not going to let you go in it and live in it. I, I'll give you a glimpse from afar and you can see. What happened to Moses? He got angry. He got angry with a bunch of hard-headed, ignorant, disobedient people who would not follow the Lord. And in his anger, he sinned, and God says, I'm not going to have that. That's amazing that God has such patience with us that he is so gracious with us that when Moses lost his patience, he says, that's not like me, Moses. That ain't how we do things here. What did they have in common? Elijah. You remember the story of Elijah, the prophets of Baal, right? Israel was in its regular state of disobedience to God, following other gods. And it was Elijah who was trying to, to lead them and was showing them proof that this God is real. 
And they weren't having it until that, that proof was so amazing that they couldn't deny it. So I'd imagine the two of them would have quite a conversation <laughs> about the obstinance <laughs> of God's people. I, I say that because that seems to be picking up a theme as we go through Matthew. They, they have seen the powerful works of Christ and they still deny him. We see a group coming from Jerusalem saying, show us a sign. Show us a sign. We'll get into that later. But we see Peter interacts. It says in verse 4, and Peter. <laughs> Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. Peter reminds me of a person that when they don't know what to say, they just say something. <laughs> that was Peter. He, he was like, uh, uh, wow, ooh, amazing, right? And he just like won't shut up. It's just mouth to just keep going, just keeps going. You get that sense here because that's what's going on. Peter says, well, well, Lord, you know, hey, man, this is great. Wow, look at all this. Wow, why don't we just, um, uh, hey, you know what I'll do? I'll make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, and Pete, you can imagine Peter is just still going, blah, 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 blah. And, and it says, while he was still speaking. <laughs> he was still speaking when a bright cloud overshadowed them. So, this cloud is, 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 in some way, we hear from this cloud the voice of God. So it's representing the presence of God. So God steps into this, into this scene, and notice what he says. First of all, Peter's still speaking, and Peter is interrupted by this thing. It says, a voice from the clouds said, this is my beloved son. So out of these monuments of Christian faith from the Old Testament, God recognizes his son. Not so much Elijah and Moses. In other words, Elijah and Moses are, are great Signatures, they're, they're great pieces in history, but they're no equal to who Jesus is. God is highlighting his son. It's like in the amazing events of things that are happening, we forget the most important thing or the most important person. And he's saying, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't, don't, don't trip up looking at the, the clothes of Jesus and how they glow and how they're white. Don't, don't, don't look at, 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 at his skin and his face and how bright that is. Recognize who this is. Don't be so amazed at Elijah and Moses. They're great men, yes. But he's there, he's saying, this is the one. He did the same thing in Matthew chapter 3. We see the um, baptism of Jesus. John, 
Jesus came to John, and John was like, what are you doing coming here? You coming to, to, to have me baptize you? You ought to be baptizing me. That's what John said. And Jesus said, look, I just did this to fulfill what the Father said. I want to be obedient to God the Father, so I want you to baptize me. When Jesus was baptized, when he was brought out of the water, it says the uh, uh, out of heaven a, a, a dove came down, ascended on him, or is actually the Holy Spirit, like a dove, came and ascended on Jesus. And so we see Jesus the Son, we see the Holy Spirit represent there, and then we hear again the voice from heaven saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. He says that in chapter 3, verse 17, it says, then behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's making an announcement. He's saying something so that we do not miss the point of who this Jesus is. At the very start of his ministry, he's saying, I want you to pay attention to this one. There's something unique and special about him. He's my son, and I am well pleased in what he has done and what he's about to do. Now in this moment in chapter 17, God the Father repeats those same words. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, anything Elijah and Moses says is just to point to Jesus, just like John the Baptist. All he did was point to Jesus, is Jesus who ought to get our attention. We ought to hear what he has to say. Well, when they heard this voice, they reacted pretty much how we would react. It startled them, but the word used here is that they were terrified. And they fell on their face. It wasn't just an amazing deep voice that got their attention. It absolutely floored them and terrified them. There is something about the presence of God that we dare not step into lest we risk our own lives. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. It's because of that. In our sinfulness, we cannot look on a righteous, holy God. And yet, there were individuals in Jesus' day looking at him, sneering at him, ridiculing him, and doubting him. God the Father was not happy with that. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God the Father, the creator of all things, has demanded that we respect his son. Psalms 2 says, kiss the son lest he be angry. In other words, show respect to God's son whom he has appointed over all things. So there's something about meeting with God, and I get it. As a human being, the presence of God strikes a fear in me, and so it should in you. Whenever we come in the presence of a being 
that is mightier than we, we feel it. We feel it. On a small scale, we see that when we face animals that have greater strength than we do. And we don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> I try to read an animal with a dog. You kind of can look at its body posture and its, its tail and, 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 and what it's doing. And you can kind of get a sense for what mindset it has. Other animals, you try to, try to get that same sense because you're like, I can't run from this thing. Um, <laughs> what's my chances of going against it? But in the spiritual world, you notice in, 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 in the Bible, every time a human being encounters a spiritual being, an angel, there is this sense of, whoa, I'm outmatched. <laughs> and it's more than just outmatched. I fear for my very life just being in the presence of this being. How much so with God himself? One of the things that we fear about death is that unknown and coming into the very presence of God. Having to look at God face to face. As a young boy, I had a lot of respect and fear for my dad because I knew what he could do to me. <laughs> and I knew what I deserved too. He had a way of speaking and sometimes just looking at you to let you know he wasn't playing and that he meant business. My father never abused me, never gave me any punishment I didn't deserve, and never went beyond the appropriate means in giving that punishment. But I had this awesome respect and even fear of him because of who he is. I think we see that same thing sometimes even on our job. We talk to superiors. We talk to individuals who have oversight or authority over us. It could be in the, in the corporate world. It could be in, in the uh, political world. If we were to meet uh, whatever our thought of President Biden, if we were to stand in the White House and we would be, we ought to be in a certain awe of the position of that person just by who he is. When we come into a courtroom, all rise. I mean, get up out of your seat and show some respect because this man can determine your fate and the fate of others. And in his, in his courtroom, you must show respect. But here, it's kind of like just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's intuitive. It's something that we naturally see and do. And as the disciples came into the presence of God, they heard the voice of God. It says, they fell down flat on their face, and they were terrified. I want to tell you, I think that's a right position for us. But you got to note the other thing. The thing that happens after that, it says, but, but Jesus came and touched them. He touched them and he says to them, rise and have no fear. Rise and have no fear. No one else in all of creation can make us feel that way in the presence of God. 
but Jesus himself, who says to the terrified disciples, hey, man, just just get up. It's all right. It's going to be okay. In other words, because of Jesus, we can come into the very presence of God. And because of Jesus, the very presence of God is no longer frightful to us. It doesn't have to be frightening to us. Death itself is no longer frightful for the individual because of Jesus or the one who trusts in Jesus because Jesus brings us in relationship with God when we trust in what he has done. It says, when they lifted up their eyes, that lets you know they were prostrate straight down on the ground. Jesus touching them and they like, it says they see nobody but Jesus. Moses is no longer there. Elijah is no longer there. They are now focusing on, as they should be, on Jesus. Jesus only. And so it is, Jesus is the one, for those who trust in him, takes the fear of death, the fear of eternity, the fear of the presence of God, takes it away for those who trust in Jesus. We have reason to fear. But with Jesus, we have reason to rejoice in the presence of God. I know why some people like big, mean dogs when they own them. Because they're walking them on the chain and they just as proud. Because, see, the dog listens to them. They don't have to fear. Now, somebody else walking by is like, whoa, is that dog, you know, is he trained? Because <laughs> if he ain't, that chain ain't going to hold him, and your arm ain't going to be strong enough. So I hope he's listening to you. It's like your relationship is what makes the difference. God is no dog. Understand that. But we have relationship with the one who has all power, all authority, and all might. And because of that relationship, which is made through Jesus, we have no need, no reason to fear. There, we should, in our own state, be in fear. But Jesus says, hey, don't fear. I like the touch of Jesus. We live in a day today that touch is dangerous. Touch can get you in trouble. Touch can be interpreted in wrong ways. But Jesus shows a human contact and a presence that takes the fear away from his disciples. He's willing to touch us. He's willing to come close to us. He's willing to engage with us. He's willing to be one with us. He's not a God that's far away and distant from his creation. He's one that rubs shoulders with them. God sent his son on earth to be a human being, to relate to us, to commune with us, to share, to communicate, to take the fear of him out of our eyes so that we could be reconnected with our creator, with perfect fellowship and without fear. That's why we praise 
the Lord Jesus. That's why we sing the way that we do. Hallelujah. We can now have relationship with Almighty God because Jesus has made that possible. It says, now, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus says, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Notice the disciples' reaction. I want you to notice, again, Jesus makes a reference to his dying. Tell no man the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, what do they focus on? It says, the disciples asked them, then why do the, the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And notice what he said, Elijah does come. In other words, the scribes are right. The scribes are, for example, people who have a lot of knowledge, but little understanding. They, they, they have a whole lot of knowledge. We live in a world like that today. We're in an information age. People can hear and gain un, uh, a knowledge of a lot of things. They can be aware of a lot of stuff. Have you heard? Yeah, I heard. Doesn't the whole world know what happened yesterday to that little nation of Israel? We, we, the knowledge comes, and, and we, we, we get all of these reports. We get all of this information. So we're not lacking in information. The scribes had a lot of knowledge, and their knowledge was right. Jesus says, yeah, the scribes got it right. Elijah will come. In other words, the, the disciples were concerned about the, the, the details and the order of things instead of what is actually happening in front of them. In chapter 16, Jesus began to announce that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer by, by, by the hands of the religious elite and the crowd then. He was going to be killed, and he's going to be raised the third day. That's when Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, no, no, Jesus, that, that ain't going to happen to you. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You, you, you're not talking about the things of God. This is what God has prepared for me. In other words, Jesus said, this is what I came for. So I could die for the sins of mankind. Well, here he says to the disciples, don't tell people about this vision that you just saw until after I'm raised from the dead. Now, I know they're thinking raised from the dead. Mm, what's going on there? But their mind goes to this little detail of, well, I thought Elijah was going to come first. He says, well, he is going to come first. And in fact, he's already come. And he's referring to John the Baptist. Note what he says about Elijah or John the Baptist. Um, verse, middle of, in the verse 12. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. He says, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. They did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. And we know what happened to, to, to uh, John the Baptist is that Herod had him killed, had his head chopped off for speaking truth boldly. And then Jesus says that this Elijah who was to come before the great Christ of Jesus himself, 
had come already, and they did to him that very thing. And they says, he says, also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So he makes another reference to his death. And they recognize that he was talking about John the Baptist as Elijah then. Let me get to the next part. Verse 14 through 21. I'm not going to have time to, to finish that. I know that we're going to have to get into that later. So let me just let me just recap and summarize and just challenge your thinking. The point of this chapter is what Jesus has shown a glimpse of his kingdom. And he wants us to see that. And the center of the focus in Jesus' kingdom is going to be Jesus. It's going to be him. Don't miss that point now. In your life, you need to make Jesus the focus of your life. Not just on Sunday. Sunday should set the pattern for how you think, and, and you got to carry that into Monday. You got to carry that into your week. You got to recognize Jesus for who he is and live your life that way. That doesn't mean you make Jesus the focus by quitting your job and, and sitting on some hill and looking up to heaven for 24 hours of the day. That's not how you make Jesus your focus. He tells us how to make him our focus by trusting in him in what he's done on the cross and then living for his glory living in obedience to him and faithfulness to him speaking that truth to others living that truth in our own lives the disciples are getting this message and what we'll see if we can follow the pattern of their life afterwards is that they got it and they lived it out. The challenge for us today is, do we get it, and are we living it out? Praise God for those who, three candidates for baptism, who came to share uh, that testimony of baptism, which simply says, I identify with Jesus Christ, with his death, burial, and resurrection, and now I've been buried with him in death, and I've been raised from the dead to live a new life, and that's what I'm about. My life is about Jesus because he's the one that reunites me to God the Father, my creator, and makes that union pleasant, possible, and joyous. Isn't it amazing? God, Jesus gives us the opportunity to be joined with our creator and at peace with him because he took on our punishment on the cross and paid for our sin. Let's not take that for granted. Let's recognize Jesus and how we're reunited through him. Let's praise God for him. Let's live our lives with that thought first and foremost in our minds and on our hearts as we go through Monday, as we go through Tuesday, as we go through Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, throughout the week, that Christ is where my vision focuses. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your son. This is your beloved son. We're commanded to listen to him, to trust in him. We're rewarded with a right 
fellowship, at peace with you because of what he has provided. We pray, Lord, that we'll appreciate, grow in appreciation, and show that appreciation daily by walking in obedience to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name.